You all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Yeah. Albert Shivers. The Matrix doesn't happen. That's very true. Come along quietly or not. They don't have to like it, but they're gonna see what happens. Goodbye, wimps. And now, without further ado, from Albert Shivers. The general concept is that creativity flourishes in an in a atmosphere of freedom. Hello folks, welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I am, as I've always been, Albert Shivers, and on this episode, Luke and Andrew are finally back to do an episode. We've had a hard time getting it together, but here we are, and on this episode, the three of us are going to talk about award shows and the politics therein. So we're just going to jump right into the episode. I don't have much to say for this one, but if you're bored, go check out what I'm up to on Instagram. I'm pumping out a lot of new art. And you can also check out albertshivers.com and visit the Albert Shivers Artist Patreon page. Yada, yada, yada. Let's get to the episode with Luke and Andrew. Enjoy. This is Sandy Becker saying, keep cooking with Crisco. It's all vegetable. It's digestible. I'm Tony Viagra. The gangster comedy. I listen to Planet Shivers podcast, and you better too. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast, and I am excited to finally have Luke and Andrew back on the show again. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. So today we're going to cover award ceremonies and the politics therein. And I think we'll get the elephant that's in the room out of the room right away. We, we are one day shy of a week away from the Oscars at the time of recording this. And amongst all the hoopla and glitz, there was something that really stole the headlines, which was Will Smith getting up on stage and smacking Chris Rock after Chris Rock made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, I definitely have my opinions on it, but let's hear from you guys first, and then I'll jump in. Okay. Well, the uh, this kind of ties back into some of our previous episodes where we discussed comedy and you know, what has aged well and what hasn't. Uh, one of the reasons that... Uh, that Rock's joke about Jada Pinkett Smith would be considered offensive is who was the target of the punchline. You know, if we go back to the old days, like where you had jokes where people make fun of trans people by having a white guy, uh, white straight guy, fall in love with what he thinks is a beautiful woman, only it turns out that she's a trans woman, and then he does the whole uh, throwing up and showering to cleanse himself and everything. Back then, the punchline of that joke is, oh, it's funny because trans people are freaks. And that's why that joke hasn't aged well. So, but whereas if you have uh, uh, Don Rickles making a joke, I love black people. Without them, we'd have no Olympics. That joke isn't making fun of black people. That's making fun of the way American society has used black people. So it's more a jab at the society as a whole. So that joke has aged well. So when you have Chris Rock joking about Jada Pickett-Smith losing her hair, you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he didn't know about her condition and thought that she was doing an artistic choice. In that case, it was just a joke at her fashion sense, in, case, in which case it wouldn't be offensive. But if he was aware of her condition and he was making, which is outside her control, and made fun of her anyway, that was a jerk move on his part. That being said, that does not justify Will Smith going up on stage and slapping him. It's like, if you have a gripe with a guy, can't you talk it out? Just because Rock was being a jerk doesn't justify you being a jerk, too. You could have just approached him after the show and, you know, in private and said quietly, please don't make fun of my wife like that. This is really hurting her. That was a bullying tactic. Do not do that again. That's my, that's my thought on it. Especially with uh, uh, Will Smith having as many uh, social media outlets that he has, you know, he could all he could have, you know, you know, put a comment on Twitter, you know, about how hurtful that statement was, you know, about his wife. But I mean, 
uh, th this isn't the old West. You know, this isn't you know, you know, uh, John Wayne calling the guy out of the saloon for making a comment about his lady. Uh, this, uh, you know, this is you know, uh, uh, 2022, and uh, you know, uh, the uh, you know, get, yes, you know, you can, uh, and especially Chris Rock, who, you know, you you can go back to the 90s and see pictures of him and Will and Jada Pinkett Smith. So they're obviously friends or at least acquaintances from uh, years back. And, uh, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, even if he, you know, was, uh, you know, even going back uh, to the to the days like when uh, Sammy Davis Jr. or Richard Pryor would make jokes about John Wayne, he... You know, never you know went up to him and gave him a knuckle sandwich at a uh, uh, comedy roast. Uh, so, uh, but but you know, uh, so I I do feel that uh, Will Smith was uh, very in the wrong, uh, and uh, and you know, uh, I'm like Chris. I'm sure Chris Rock, who uh, came from Saturday Night Live and has a you know, great, you know, knack for uh, improvisation. I'm almost sure he didn't say, oh, I'm going to stick it to, to Jada Pinkett. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get the, uh, get her. I, I don't think he uh, meant it that way, you know, just, but, uh, you know, if, uh, and I also uh, understand that, uh, 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 it also could uh, Will's uh, reaction could also have been from his previous film role, where it was assumed that he used some method act acting approaches uh, you know, when uh, playing the role of uh, that he won the Oscar for that night, uh, Richard Richard Williams. Uh, so that could so he could have still been in that mindset, but still, I don't think that gives him an excuse. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's just uh, one man's opinion. Okay. For me, I have a predisposition to side with the comedian most all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I don't know much, but what I do know is that I believe that um, Chris Rock, he didn't know about the alopecia. Mm -hmm. That's what I understand. So therefore, it's just a joke. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to bring up something else, which is that I don't know how exactly how long ago. Uh, this is April 2nd of 2022. A couple, at least a couple of weeks ago, if not a little more, a law just got passed that is not, doesn't allow or somehow supports not allowing employers to be... Um, judgmental over the hair of african-american people you can't discriminate based on hair so that has been a sore point in that community natural hair or and haircuts in general so assuming that chris rock does not know about the alopecia there is a part of me that does understand why she may have been upset forget will for a second because mm -hmm. will laughed initially yeah. i've seen mm -hmm. it Yes, I saw we it. all did. Yeah, yeah, we all saw it. So, let's call a spade a spade. He laughed initially, but anyway, um, I can understand her not finding it funny. But, in the end, it was a joke. This is what, over the past couple of years, I haven't watched the Oscars, but I always watch the comedian. <laughs> and over the past couple of years, it has gotten more roasty. And my, I feel like you, Ricky Gervais, his couple, it's gotten more roasty, and I don't ha see, I don't have a problem with that, and everybody else that Chris Rock roasted rolled with it, you know, because that's the other thing that social media and the news twists things, because we only all we see is a slap, we don't see everybody laughing before the slap. All the other people he, he like poked at, they were fine. Nobody jumped up and like 
there was only Will on that stage. So while I get it, that was just extreme. And it's hard for me to believe that those two guys, being as big as they are, Chris Rock, uh, successful comedian, Will Smith, has been in many comedies, including his own sitcom. It's hard for me to imagine that they are not even cordial enough to not have that happen. Like, they have to know each other somewhat. I read... To, to be able... I'm sorry. No, but to be able to do what you said, or what you said of dealing with it privately. So... I have one more point to end, but I want you to say what you have to say. I've read, in regard to you know being cordial and everything, I've read some people arguing in Will's defense that maybe he wasn't as angry with Rock as he was at himself for in lieu of the fact that he did laugh with everybody else. And they looked at Jada, realized that she was hurt, and he's like, oh, shoot, I screwed up. Now I have to overcorrect. Mm-hmm. But again still doesn't justify what he did. Yeah. So his anger in that situation may have been too pronged. He was angry at, at Rock, and he was angry with himself. Mm-hmm. But still bad so overreaction. Let's put, let's put our tinfoil hats on <laughs> for, for a minute and explore, is there any chance that this was not real? That, that's what I thought at first. Honestly, when, when I saw that, I thought... It's oh, it's a stunt. It, they they planned it out. You know, the stuff stuff like that happens at the Oscars from time to time. Like, uh, 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 like I was just like, oh, this is a joke. But I mean, if, if it was real, I mean, you're, you're telling me that uh, there was no security or va- or uh, valets or uh, yeah, there's no nobody saying, uh, Mr. Smith, you you can't uh, go to the stage right now yeah. or. I mean, uh, he just walked up there and just, you know, uh, uh, cracked him. Nobody, you know, so, uh, so, I mean, he, he just walked up to the stage with ease yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and then it, it wasn't to, to me what stopped it from what kind of put the kibosh on it for being a, uh, a stage for me is when I heard his, you know, Keep my wife's name. Yeah. Uh, went from a seat. I was just like, that doesn't sound like something you see yeah. to a state. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing that so I had that possibility brought up to me, and it made me think think about it. And the one thing that I noticed is that if you watch the videos of it, it's all there's only one angle of it that we're seeing. This is the Oscars. There's cameras everywhere. Right. I have no horse in this race at all. I'm just here to stir the pot. Yeah. But why are we only seeing one angle of this? This huge thing. Why are we only getting one angle of it? In in an auditorium full of cameras. (laughs) So that's my only little like throw it and run thing. I don't know. I know. I I mean, if, if if you put a gun to my head, I don't think it was staged. But it could. But at the same time, it could have been. It's like, uh, yeah. How about this? Uh, they'll, they'll put a gun to our head. Okay, so let's pretend we all have a gun to our head. Uh, was it staged or not? Our answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go. Let's transition to um, somebody who was very celebrated at the Oscars that you guys wanted to bring up. Let's talk about, since our last podcast recording, we've lost a lot of famous people. Um, one of them was Sidney Poitier. So for you guys as actors, what talk a little bit about him. Okay. Um, I've seen several movies with Sidney Poitier Um his, his Oscar-nominated performance in The Defiant Ones. Uh, I recently saw his Oscar-winning role in Lilies of the Field, um, uh, To Sir With Love, and a few, you know, a few others that I'm blanking on right now. But the point is, 
Uh, he was definitely an excellent actor, certainly groundbreaking for actors of color. You know, he helped to prove that actors of color could be marketable and that people would pay to see those movies and that they were worth awards and everything. I personally think even then he was still underappreciated, even during his time. I think he should have been nominated for an Oscar for To Serve With Love. And I think he, every time he played opposite, you know, major you know, white actors of the time, he held his own against them, even though he probably never had any acting lessons. And, you know, a lot of our more successful actors of color, to, you know, since then, be it Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington, all of them owe something to Sidney Poitier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, well, well said. That was uh, all my, you know, you know, he, you know, for every everything, you know, for he was like the Jackie Robinson of film. Uh, you know, he he was the one. He he took the lumps. He got the, you know, dirt on his uniform. But now, you know, thanks to that, you know, now we, uh, uh, have, uh, you know, it, it he set the groundwork for all those other, uh, great, uh, uh actors and actresses of color and, uh, and uh, you know uh, uh, and his uh, complete body of uh, film work uh, you know uh, a man who was the first African-American man to uh, slap a, a white actor on uh, in a film in, uh, in the heat of the night uh, 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 which was uh, groundbreaking you really when you th- when I think of the word groundbreaking, Sidney Poitier comes right to the top of my right right to right to the top of my mind, uh, uh, or when he was uh, 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 or his uh, performance in uh, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, uh, you know, playing a uh, African American uh, doctor with a uh, white fiance. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, after having a great, uh, film career, taking time to direct, become a director, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, like, uh, uh, to, uh, to serve with love, uh, you know, made a whole generation of people like my father, uh, want to become teachers, uh, and, uh, it's uh, just you know again you know like he got the appreciation but you know like you said Luke he deserved a hell of a lot more yes so that that could also get us into a little bit of the politics of award ceremonies and what what you guys have seen you guys follow it very closely so what I mean, we are dealing with any kind of art form. It, it there's some level of subjectiveness. People like what they like, mm-hmm. and we everybody doesn't always agree. So, my question, I guess, in thinking about the politics of award ceremonies, is in each of your opinions, um, where do you think you know who do you think maybe didn't get who do you think got like taken advantage of by the politics? Maybe didn't get their due. That's not really a subjective. Like, no, this person definitely. Okay. Or just anything that stands out to either of you. All right. Uh, let me preface by saying, you know, of course, it's people have been complaining about Oscars so white for years now, which is only finally slowly starting to chip away. But uh, this podcast is brought to you, remember, by three cis-hetero white men. So when we have our gripes with the Oscars, we can only imagine how much worse it is for everybody else. So, okay. Award ceremony for art or anything else is always a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it promotes competition. It promotes people striving to be the best they can be. But, you know, and the... But the because there's a business side to it, of course, there's always the notoriety that comes to it. Some people are so desperate to the notoriety that they lose all sense of honor, and they're willing to cheat, and they're willing to um, split things into different categories in order to eliminate the competition or say, oh, that doesn't count. Um, 
the rule there are so many uh, rules to the academy uh, that are problematic uh, one uh, actor who is definitely taken advantage of in my opinion who didn't get the recognition he deserved was Edward G. Robinson I don't know if this is if this is true today but for the longest time the academy and major film studios have had this understanding because Edward G. Robinson was a freelance actor. He could work for any studio, anytime, doing any role he wanted. And studios hated him for that. They like their contract players that they can control like their little puppets. I'm going to pause you just for a second. Because that's an interesting point. Just for like a minute or two. Explain a little bit about that. So that actors were under contract with certain studios. Yeah. At that time. Yes. So, you know, when, act, you know, when studios... You know, because of, you know, this is a whole other can of worms in regard to star power, but obviously star power is one of the biggest marketing tools for films. So right. when you have an actor under your thumb, you you see that person as your gold mine. You know, you need that, your meal ticket. This is how I'm going to get the big bucks. I need this actor to play this role, whether or not he or she is appropriate for the part, just because I know people will pay to see that person's name in the movie. Mm-hmm. So... In order to incentivize people to to become contract players, even though that would limit their creative freedom as actors, they would they would have this little understanding with the academy. You do not reward actors who are freelance. You only reward them if they work for us. Mm. So, you know that way, even if the actors could. So the actors who are under your thumb, you know, they can only play the roles you let them play. And if they don't, if they turn it down or if they try to work for another studio, you could sue them. And if they went completely freelance, you'd be like, okay, fine, but you're not getting any award for that. And when you're dead, people will, most people will forget that you even existed. And one of the perfect examples, of course, was Edward G. Robinson. He should have been nominated for Little Caesar. Um... Double Indemnity, Key Largo. Um, he should have gotten a posthumous nomination for Soylent Green, but because he was a freelance actor his whole life and he you know, refused to be you know, the little trained dog for the studios, they were like, okay, screw you. You're not getting any, no Oscars for you. Whereas other actors, even to this day, like, like Halle Berry, you know, got an Oscar for, what was that movie? Uh, Monster's Ball. Monster's Ball. And then I think it was the very next year, Warner Brothers, the same studio that helped her get the Oscar, forced her to do the Catwoman movie, which was atrocious, and she got a Razzie for that. And in one of the best you know, fingers that you could extend to the studio, when she accepted her Razzie award, she actually brought her Oscar with her and said, I want to thank Warner Brothers for putting me in this piece of shit film. <laughs> it's like, that right there perfectly sums up the, you know, the double-edged sword of being a contract player so you can get the Oscar, which looks great on your resume, but it means you are at the studio's mercy mm-hmm. from that point on until A, you, you know, leave the, you know, your contract expires or you somehow manage to get, negotiate a better deal somewhere else, whatever the case may be. So. I remember that Catwoman movie. Yeah. And to your point, like it was, whether or not it was good or bad, it was huge. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I was going to mention, so, you know, the contract player, contract versus freelance player was definitely a huge problem. But the other thing, uh, this is more specifically about the Oscars and, and the Golden Globes. Not every, uh, award, um, you know, award faction has this problem, but there's also the difference between active, for the voters... There's a huge difference between active filmmakers and critics. Uh, some awards guilds like uh, the BAFTAs, for example, their voters, as to my knowledge, are professional critics who get paid to watch movies. And professional critics watch an average of like 500 new releases a year from all over the world. Mm-hmm. So when they narrow down like their top five choices, like they're comparing you to hundreds of people from all different languages, all different... So, you know, so they have a huge basis of comparison, a huge pool to pull from, whereas the Oscars and the Golden Globes, because they're 
their voters are active filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And as such, they only see movies maybe as often as the rest of us. And I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I think I heard that the average casual film goer only sees five new releases in a year. Because we're more likely to rewatch the same movies over and over again because we, you know, we, we have jobs, we have lives, we have families and everything. And because of that, we have less basis of comparison. So what might seem groundbreaking or inspiring to us, a professional critic will be like, I've seen that hundreds of times over the past decade. I've seen better. I've seen it done in another country. I've seen it done in another language. I've seen it done modern. I've seen it done old in a, a period story. Uh, you know, so this is a lot of people are quick to think that active filmmakers are better because they have more inside knowledge as to how the industry works. But because of the lack of basis of comparison, like it, there are even rumors, and this is probably true, that, you know, when they're narrowing down, let's say, you know, the top five actors or actresses of the year, when they're voting for the winner, they'll be like, I didn't even see that movie. Was it any good? Well, Oh, look at this nice special gift for consideration uh, that the uh, studio paid for me. You know, free champagne bottle and everything. Sure, they got my vote. And um, you have to campaign to win an Oscar. Uh, The movie has to be screened at a certain uh, cinema, certain prestigious cinema in, in Los Angeles. I forget the name of it. This is why so many independent films get overlooked because, you know, if they have, even if they have the budget to get released on the big screen, they, they need even more money to get to that particular cinema. Mm. This is why so many people get overlooked. And, you know, when it's, when it's that easy to bribe your way to an Oscar to manipulate the voters to giving you something that you may not even deserve because you may not have even been that good, and there are plenty of examples of actors who clearly won because they campaigned most vigorously, not because their performance was that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, um, and that's definitely the truth, what uh, Luke said about uh, campaigning. And uh, you, uh, uh, you, you have to... Uh, and, and there's always been this... Uh, there's a, a thing, it's the Academy Award formula. Mm-hmm. Like, they're... Like they're, uh, like the idea that a film that wins uh, the Oscar for Best Picture, like there, uh, it had to be period piece, asked or it has to be a war film. It has to be an epic. Uh, you know, for for years and, and people, uh, uh, one of my uh, uh, favorites was uh, there, there was a, a film. It was uh, it was called The Post. Directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, uh, starring Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks, uh, based on a true story. Uh, there was uh, at the beginning of the show, then somebody just came out with like a wheelbarrow full of Oscars and just like, should we just give them all to them now? <laughs> and uh, and that, uh, that was an incident where you know what you have political film, uh, big top starring actors. Uh, award-winning director and uh, political biographical you know that was uh, all you need to do to uh, win best picture uh, uh, but uh, really uh, and some sometimes it's uh, you know like one of the biggest snubs of all time people consider saving private Ryan one of the biggest uh, uh, snubs of because uh, uh, really best picture is kind of a double-edged sword again like not to go back but because there are so many films that uh, once they win best picture every critic in the world will you know uh, or you know any or every person with a computer will will go will will go and just rip it to pieces uh, uh you know, just because it won Best Picture, uh, uh, you know, then uh, it, it's just and uh, they. Uh, uh, I know one of the ones was uh, 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 the year uh, I think it's called Crash won Best Picture. Everybody tore that movie to shreds because. 
Uh, every the obvious everyone felt the obvious pick was Brokeback Mountain. Uh, they uh, because that got snubbed. That movie, uh, I think you'll see it on the top of like every like hated uh, film or hated best picture winner, uh, just because it uh, uh, beat out other uh, other films. I mean even. The, the film that's considered the greatest film of all time, Luke knows what, yeah, right. uh, the, the Great Citizen Kane. <laughs> Even that film did not win Best Picture, everybody. Uh, <laughs> and that's considered the Citizen Kane of film. Yeah. Uh, so what do you guys feel about what I'll call like pity awards? So in other words... We take like somebody like let's say DiCaprio, mm-hmm. who maybe should have won however many times, mm-hmm. and then you know he does uh, Revenant, yeah, Bear? Revenant. The, the Revenant, yeah, does the Revenant, throws a polar bear around for a little while, and gets that Oscar, mm-hmm. and the whole world's like, hey, yeah. So, what, what uh, is the deal with that? What's the deal? <laughs> that, that's an instance of, and it happens a lot at the Oscars, an instance where, uh, you know, again, uh, me, uh, my, my opinion, uh, where, you know, we should have get, given it to him this time or this time. Let's just give it to him this time. Yeah. The, the next one, uh, the, the person that always rings in my mind uh, with that happening is Paul Newman. Uh, uh, Paul Newman should have won the Oscar for The Hustler. He should have won it for uh, Cool Hand Luke. Uh, he should have won it for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. He should have won it, you know, X amount of times, but they finally give it to him when he did The Color of Money. Mm-hmm. You know, after he was... Uh, it wasn't one of his. La- he was uh, wasn't one of his last films. But it was the later film, and you know, uh, I don't think co- compared to some of his other work, I don't think it w- it was as great of a performance. But you know, everybody just gave it to him. We snubbed him this many times. You know, let's throw him a bone. Yeah. Um, Henry Fonda was another one uh, who uh, he he was he should have won it. You know, years and years ago, he didn't get it, he, and he wasn't even able to accept his award. He, like, he won the award. I think then he his daughter had to accept it for him, uh, and uh, he, uh, he and there, even and even that win. Speaking of the campaigning, going back to campaigning was also very controversial because a lot of people think, even though he was great in the film. A lot of people think that same year that Burt Lancaster should have won and that the only reason Fonda won was because his daughter campaigned vigorously on his behalf. Uh, yeah, because she used that, you know, the the whole, it was his final film and uh, she, she kind of, you know, not, you know, he should have, you know, won it years and years ago, but it, uh, they, they gave it to him because... Uh, you know, like I said, to throw him the bone. And then another thing, and I just I was just reminded of this in regard to uh, to pity awards and throwing bones and everything. Uh, because it's an award ceremony, it is very easy, like infuriatingly easy, to rig the contest in people's favor. You will notice in a lot of award-winning films that they technically broke the rules in order to award someone. One of the most famous examples is Marlon Brando in The Godfather. He won Best Lead Actor, even though he had less screen time and much less screen time and dialogue than Al Pacino in the same film, and Pacino got nominated for Supporting Actor. And I think that the reason they gave Brando the Lead Actor Oscar was not just because he was the more prestigious name and the top-billed actor because he was the oldest, you know, most famous actor in the movie, but because that movie came out the same year as Cabaret with Liza Minnelli and Joel Grey. And I think everybody watched um, Cabaret and they said, oh, we know Joel Grey's going to win Best Supporting Actor. We don't want Brando to lose to that. So let's just cheat and put him in the other category, which he totally shouldn't be in, just so we can hand it to him. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and there are a lot of other actress, actresses and actors who have won supporting Oscars that they totally should have won leads for, like uh, oh. Judas and the Black Messiah, yeah. which came out the same year as The Father with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya and uh, what's Lakeith Steinfeld? Lakeith Steinfeld. Lakeith yeah. Steinfeld were both nominated for Best Supporting Actor. So, to everybody watching, anybody who's seen that movie, who was the lead actor in that movie who had more screen time and dialogue than either of them? Oh, that's right. There wasn't any. But they knew, oh, Anthony Hopkins is, is, you know, in his 80s, you know, and it's a great, it's a really wonderful performance. But if we give it to him, they're going to complain that we're being too white again. So let's just cheat and put those two in the supporting category, even though they actually weren't. So, yeah, they got the Oscar, but I might put, but there was, like, in the most undignified way that they could have handed it to them. One that rings, uh, uh, that I always think of is uh, when Viola Davis won uh, for Fences. Yeah, another perfect one. In 2016, she won for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, she was the only woman in that film. Yes. She, there was no other women in that film. Except for her, she was the only actress, uh, and and she had just as much dialogue as Denzel, just as much dialogue as any man in that uh, uh, production, and she won Best Supporting Actress. Or uh, another one, uh, uh, the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit, when they nominated uh, Haley Steinfeld for Best Supporting Actress, even though she was the lead character of the movie. You know, the list goes on, but this is an example of how they will cheat to accommodate people because, heaven forbid, they have more than five nominees in one category, which, again, because they're active filmmakers, that's probably all they've seen to vote on, if that. If they were professional critics and they took the time to watch however many hundreds of movies came out that year and they narrowed it down to ten, they, these races would, would be less infuriating for the rest of us to watch. So do you feel that... Active filmmakers should not be able to vote? I see. Or that the percentage of them on the panel should be smaller? At the very least, the percentage should be smaller. Like, they should have a say. I agree with that. But they shouldn't be the main voters. Like, there should be more critics than active filmmakers. Okay. Also, in regard to the politics, you know, and again, this, this is especially... Uh, huge deal in regard to uh, racism and being progressive, I can't help noticing that the Academy really loves to reward movies that make them feel comfortable, movies that spread the message that racism is dead, we beat it. You'll notice, for example, um, I think it was 2017, was it 2018 when Green Book came out? 2018, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's just another white savior movie, which is, yeah, it's a historical piece, but according to the family of Mahershal Ali's character in real life, they said the, they called the movie a symphony of lies. Dr. Shirley. Yeah, Dr. Shirley. Thank you. His, yeah, they said that the movie was completely way off, depicted the relationship completely wrong, that, you know, they made his, you know, and telling the whole story from the white guy's perspective. That same year, another uh, movie about racism came out. Well, actually, two of them uh, Black Klansmen and, uh, and The Hate You Give. Both movies, okay, one of them was a period piece, but both movies were much more haunting and they sent the message, racism is systemic, it's a big problem, and it's still happening today. Black Klansman was nominated for several Oscars but didn't win. As, you know, it lost you know, best, you know, best Supporting Actor and Best Picture to Green Book. And The Hate You Give, which is a modern movie and told everything from the, minority, from the oppressed minority's perspective, didn't get nominated for anything nothing at all not not a golden globe not a critic's choice nothing and it's because you know mostly uh, in, in regard to representation not just that they're not all professional critics but you gotta wonder how many of them are probably white and they don't want to sleep at night like oh that movie scared me it made me uh realize that i'm not working actively hard enough to you know in the way i vote and the candidates that i support and everything no i want this movie that makes me feel safe I'm going to vote for Green Book. And, and you, know, I, you know, I'm furious with that choice, and I'm a white guy. I can only imagine how much worse it makes everybody else feel. Uh, 
uh, that that goes into the whole uh, whole body of films that are the the white savior films, the the dances with wolves, the driving Miss Daisies, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, I mean you you can go on forever. Uh, or 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 even uh, in regard to some of those films, how you'll notice a pattern with some people who win the Oscars, like Octavia Spencer has won several Oscars for playing the supportive black friend. That should just be a category at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I, I mean, you're playing stereotypical roles. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, I, uh, uh, like a lot of people, uh, uh, the, the woman who uh, won the, actor, the Best Supporting Actress Oscar in... Uh, for Gone with the Wind, she was the first African American actress to uh, win the Oscar. Uh, everybody said, uh, you know, she had to, you know, people had to call call in favors just to get her into the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, she uh, and uh, everybody said, you know, don't you feel uh, bad or angry about you know winning for playing a stereotype? And you you weren't all, all you were almost not even let in the building. They said, I won an Oscar and I was paid uh, $1,000 more than what people who, you know, from, who really do that work. Uh, uh, At the end of the day, I'm a happy camper. So you, and you could say that to her back then because that was the only option they had. But today, they should, but after that groundwork, Mm -hmm. they should have so many better options today. You have to remember that was in the... The 30s. 30s, yeah. Howdy yeah. McDaniel. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I couldn't think of it. No, that's fine. So uh, one thing that I think about in the terms of this is that all these movies that we're mentioning, that have won. So Driving Miss Daisy beat out Do the Right Thing for an Oscar, which is very similar to the point you're making. About here's you know the safe movie beating the movie a little that's a little bit hard to swallow. Well, yeah, a little controversial. And one thing that I'm again you know coming from the perspective of being outside the culture, but like how many more slavery movies? How many more? How uh, many? More? See, uh, twelve years. I'm of getting slave. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Let alone being a person who has that in there. Like, why do you need to keep reminding us all? Yeah. Obviously, we know that it happened, and I'm not saying this to bury it, but let's, let's you know, I'm, I may not ever need to see Hidden Figures again. Yeah. Mm. But I'm glad it exists, because it's just an alternative to just oppression victim, oppression slavery victim. Like, there, there are a lot of good stories... Start making movies about those. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. We or or you know we've we've previously touched on um, I forget which podcast it was, but we previously touched on the subject of uh, of colorblind casting. On the one hand, we're afraid that it's going to be used to appeal to the Oscars. Like, oh look at us, we have the token black guy doing a stereotype role. Where's our Oscar? But two recent movies that gave me a little bit of faith. One was. Uh, I think it was the uh, personal history of David Copperfield, I think, with uh, De- with Dev Patel in the lead. Okay, that was an example of good colorblind casting because none of it felt forced. They were just like, let's just pick the best actors for these roles, color and ethnicity be darned. And it worked. And then uh, this past <coughs> year, we had, um, we had the Coen Brothers Macbeth where they had Denzel Washington in the lead. And it didn't feel like, oh, let's put him in just so that we have a black guy. It's like, let's pick him because he's the best. Because we want to see Denzel Washington do Shakespeare. We he's done it before. Let's see him do it again. Oh. And it didn't feel didn't feel forced. It wasn't reminding us. See, look at the oppression of the black. It's like, no, it's just a Shakespeare story that just happens to have a guy who's black. Right. And More of this, please. And we we also touched on this at a future uh, past podcast. But my opinion, the only way we're going to get there is if we stop mainly racially, but gender to a degree too. If, you, if, if, if I see a film that has an all-black cast, I cannot 
be assumed that oh this is a black movie mm-hmm. and that's what has happened yes now and I always use this as an example but um, the movie the best man um, stars Tay Diggs and there's a lot of other big names that I can't remember now best man and best man holiday all black cast for the most part and it's a really good movie like it's it's enjoyable it's fun it's light it has its heavy moments like I see the first one and the second one as just nice well-rounded pictures that anybody could enjoy because the characters are going through human experiences and I recently thought the same thing a little bit about gender which might the gap might be a little bit bigger but um, I was watching the sitcom Living Single not too long ago. And I like that show. And that show is predominantly female characters as opposed to male. There's four female main characters and two male main characters. So somebody brought something up to me about that. I said, well, this is a woman's show. <laughs> okay, fine. Fine. But let's think about some other shows. So, Seinfeld. Three men to one woman. Um, another popular show, it's, let's say, Frasier. Um, three men to two women. Most sitcoms are disproportionately male-led as opposed to female-led. And women watch those shows. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with it being the other way around? Exactly. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> So until we like stop saying like that's a girl show, this is a black movie, this is a Latin movie, that like if we could just break that down and watch a movie for a movie and not have it be like you're saying with Denzel doing Shakespeare, not having it have to be race specific, just have it be people doing stuff. Yes. And to be clear, this is not our way of saying stop celebrating culture that, you know, cultural history associated with that ethnicity. But at the same time, we do have to, you know, don't let that be their only defining characteristic. Exactly. Exactly. You get what I'm putting down. (laughs) So let's um, let's get into some recommendations. Okay. Um, I could start. If you guys want to get, could get your thoughts together. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So being that we're on award ceremonies, of course, at the bottom of my pile, I'm picking a movie that won awards at the Toronto International Film Festival, <laughs> Passion Play, which stars Mickey Rourke, Megan Fox, and Bill Murray. It is one of the strangest pictures I've ever seen, and that's why I like it. <laughs> um, in a nutshell... Mickey Rourke is a semi-retired, drug-addled jazz musician who find, who stumbles upon a freak show that we don't know is real or not and finds a living, breathing angel, played by Megan Fox. But evil is afoot <laughs> because Bill Murray, the crooked carnival worker, like uh, circus guy wants to steal Megan Fox away because he wants the angel in his show. So, love is stronger than death. That's the little tagline for Passion Play, and this was 2011. My sister and I watched this movie on, at an attempt to stay up all night one night, and we both um, had nightmares about the movie when we went to sleep. When we finally did go to sleep, we both had dreams about the movie. Hers was more of a nightmare. Mine was just a dream. But that's my pick. Passion play. Mickey Work, Megan Fox, Bill Murray. Very strange picture. Okay. Um, Follow that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, it, it were, since we're trying to, you know, since we're trying to promote films that were overlooked by these award ceremonies, um, I'm, just, I'm just gonna have to go with what I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. The hate you give. Um, you know, I think it definitely should have been nominated for it. Well, for those of you who haven't heard of it, it's based on a book takes place, you know, within the past decade, showing that racism is still alive. 
So yes, it is a movie about racism, but it is, but it's not a white savior movie. It's told from the black, from the oppressed minority's perspective. It's a predominantly black film with only a few minor, you know, non-black characters in it. It has, it shows the nitty gritty of why racism is a problem. It's not just bad apples. They they show how it's ingrained in the system, how it affects, you know, American policing and criminal justice policies, and all while giving us very empathetic, wonderful characters and spectacular performances that we can enjoy. It's probably going to it's probably going to be one of those movies so disturbing that you don't want to watch it more than once, but you will be glad you saw it. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to go along with those same lines, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, a film for me that I think was completely snubbed by every award show. Uh, it was a film. It was called uh, Queen and Slim. Uh, it stars uh, uh, Daniel uh, uh, Kaluuya yeah. and uh, Jody Turner Smith. Uh, it was uh, directed by uh, Melanie Matasukas. Ma- <laughs> uh, it uh, came out in two thousand nineteen. Uh, I it was one of those movies. I literally just saw it because. Uh, I just felt like seeing a movie. Uh, I uh, I saw it in the movie theater, and uh, a lot of people refer to it as the uh, black Bonnie and Clyde. I, uh, I I I thought it was a very powerful film. I don't uh, uh, I don't know if I compare it. I call it Bonnie and Clyde. It's about a young. Uh, two, uh, uh, they're not even a couple. They're, they're people they met on the internet and they meet for dinner. You know, uh, 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 she, uh, she plays, uh, uh, she's a, uh, lawyer and he, uh, uh, works at a store and, uh, they're, uh, she, uh, they just, uh, met on the internet, you know, and, uh, are, uh, out on a date, he's driving her home, and uh, from the looks of it, you know, it wasn't exactly you know the best date in the world. There, uh, and they get pulled over by a police officer, a white police officer, and uh, uh, the uh, like I said, the, uh, uh, Jody uh, uh, Turner Smith uh, plays a uh, plays an attorney, so she's saying, you know. Why are we being pulled over? She's questioning all this stuff. Uh, why this guy? And he has uh, uh, Daniel Kaluuya outside, uh, you know, putting cuffs on him, throwing him against the car and frisking him. And uh, she uh, she goes to try to take a picture of him. He pulls his gun. The officer pulls his gun out, uh, shoots her, and uh, Daniel Kaluuya... Uh, 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 grabs a hold of the gun, the gun goes off, and just like that, he kills a, a police officer, a white police officer, nonetheless. And then the whole film is pretty much two people who, you know, just met each other on the run from police, uh, who th- think they're, you know, then you have people thinking that they're radicals, that they're trying to start a movement, and really it was. Nothing of the kind. Mm-hmm. And I just thought uh, it was overlooked. I thought that both uh, actor and actress's performances were fantastic. And uh, I, I highly uh, recommend it. Nice. I haven't seen either of those, so I'm going to now watch them. Okay. There was a question I forgot to, I wanted to bring up, and I, this is as good as anything to close. Um, so, we covered the award ceremonies in this episode. We talked about their flaws individually. So, now that we, we've, we've talked about all that, why, if, if, and this isn't something that only the three of us talk about, only the three of us know. So, why have award ceremonies then? If the favoritism is to the point where it's public knowledge 
<clears throat> and we scratch our heads over this award and get angry that this one didn't happen. Hmm. Do you think that there's a reason to even have them? I think, especially today when, you know, for better and for worse, and in these strangest ways, it is becoming easier for people to make movies. Not necessarily to break into the industry and make big movies, but to make movies, period. Something... I think is it is kind of a necessary evil to keep to keep people in line to prevent us from just making lazy schlock. And I think, you know, and I'm not saying that you know movies that are made just mindless entertainment or even uh, as uh, as Martin Scorsese put it when he presented the AFI Life Achievement Award ceremony to Mel Brooks, it's okay to make movies just for the laughs, <laughs> but uh, but but we still need some some bar set high enough that people are still putting effort into it and that we don't ever slip into this mindset of I'm just making whatever you know whatever I feel like because I want to and I am not putting any more effort into it than I have to I think an awards ceremony is is better than just the budget and the contractual obligation because those can force people to those are more likely to force people to do things they don't want to do or maybe even make bad movies just to fit this mold to you know to appeal to the the producers and the stockholders and everything um award ceremonies at least attempt to appeal to get people to try harder for the masses for the longevity that being said some award ceremonies especially the ones that have actual critics on the voting board do it much better than others and we need more of that okay that's my opinion Oh uh, yeah, I, th I think award ceremonies are. Uh, it's uh, uh, hard. I don't want <laughs> well, well, put this way, but it's the only way I, I can think to put it. Uh, a necessary evil. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, I mean, yeah, you might not have you know that film that you know gets the Oscar love, but you know then you can you know check out the ones that get the Sundance Film Festival Award, you know, or the, uh, the, uh, the BAFTAs, the BAFTAs, you know, you have, you have the people who get, you know, the love from, uh, the Independent Spirit Awards, uh, uh you know, you can always, uh, you know, and you can see those type of films, you know, and get, uh, get appreciation, uh, you know, cause, you know, you know, it, it's gr great to, you know, uh, you know, just be a part of films, you know, like, uh, and, and just, uh, you know, just acting, you know, just act. But I think, you know, in, in some, uh, in some uh, perspective, you, you always, you know, when you hear that, you know, some, that uh, something you did was submitted into a film festival or, you know, the possibility, you know, I think that does, you know, as, as an actor, I think, you know, that does, you know, you know, uh, you know, give you, you know, like a little, a little just like, oh, I wonder what they'll think. Uh, uh, or I hope they like it, you know. Yeah. Which is at the, at the rawest core is what every artist once yeah, yeah, like that, what do they think i hope yeah, they like it it's yeah, at the bottom it's you know right in yeah, there the smallest yeah, microbe yeah, you know now i'm thinking about you know it might sound egotistical uh things like that but uh i mean at you know at the end of the day you know doing theater i mean you you don't do it you know because you don't you know like you don't not like hearing the applause from the audience I, um, yeah, I would come home from school, and I had a plastic lunchbox, this old '90s plastic lunchboxes, and in order to tell my mother my day, she would sit down. And I'd put this lunchbox down on the floor, and I'd stand on it and tell her my day, <laughs> as if the the lunchbox was a stage. So. I feel like that's always what it is. No matter how big somebody might get, whether they're doing local shows or Broadway shows, that 
little kid on the lunchbox is, is always in there mm-hmm. somewhere. And I think your points are good and that people should know that the Oscars are not the end-all, be-all mm-hmm. for a movie that has won awards or might be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because uh, uh, an Oscar, uh, just because a film wins an Oscar doesn't mean it's the uh, the greatest thing in the world. Uh, and just because a movie didn't win an Oscar doesn't automatically mean it's bad. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, this has been a solid episode, guys. Mm-hmm. We've come back strong. Um, so, yeah, thanks for coming on and talking about this. And we'll have you back on soon. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Sounds like a plan. There you have it, folks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. Next episode is a big one. Jazz musician Bill Crow comes on the podcast. And he has a lot of stories to tell. So you don't want to miss that one. Until next time, you can find this podcast and more on all major podcast platforms and YouTube with video. Now, when I say all podcast platforms, what do I mean? I mean iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and a few more. And again, YouTube with the video if you want something to look at while you're listening. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of somebody else.